1: We're glad you're listening today, and by the way, this is a call-in show, so that means that the best radio occurs when you call in and we talk about things that are of interest to you. Our phone number, if you will write it down, is 979-845-5689, 979-845-5689, or if you would like to email me perhaps a photo of a plant or a bug or whatever you want diagnosed, or... Uh, identified, you can do that at Garden Success, one word. Garden Success at at dot Edu Garden Success at TAMU. Edu Well, we're enjoying a little bit of rainfall here, uh, which our gardens all appreciate. Uh, hopefully, that uh, the, the amount continues to be moderate, like it has been. That's that's kind of nice to not uh, be inundated. When, you know, our plants need good drainage, they don't need uh, to live in a swamp. So, but it looks like it's going to be a a good amount. And with the rain comes issues. Uh, That means the diseases are often uh, increased in their incidence after a rainfall. Uh, By the way, the reason for that, uh, one reason for that is, uh, for example, bacteria, the raindrops can splash them from one leaf area to another leaf or another area in the plant even uh, and therefore you get a little bit more uh, infection of bacterial kinds of spots the fungi the fungal spots uh, are basically for the most part coming from spores and uh, spores are like fungus seeds Uh, if I can uh, stretch it a little bit there. Uh, so if you think of them like fungus seeds, it, it's it's helpful in understanding why and how you control them. So if a seed lands on dry dirt, it'll just sit there. I mean, you could have a bazillion seeds in your yard or in your garden, and if the do- if the soil was dry, they wouldn't germinate. And then the first rain you get, they all germinate, and here here comes just this huge crop of weeds. Well, fungal spores are similar. Uh, each fungus has its uh, specific requirements, but uh, you can take a particular fungus, like a rose black spot or a sarcospora spot on something, and it'll. The pathologist will be able to tell you. Well, if you have X number of hours within this uh, temperature range, th- the spores will germinate and then they send their equivalent of a root down into the leaf that then spreads and and eventually we visibly see the leaf spot. We didn't see the spore there, but we see the effects on the leaf. So the more often you wet foliage, the more likely the incidence of many types of diseases will be. Uh, we can't control rain, so when we go through days where it rains a little bit today, rains a little bit tomorrow, rains a little bit the next day, we, we're likely to have, uh, you know, an increase in some of those problems, and that's just the reality of how that works. So when it comes to uh, diseases, it's much better to prevent them than than to try to cure them. Some we can't really cure. Uh, whenever a spot occurs, that spot is going to remain, even if every last a uh, bit of the fungal strands are killed; uh, the dead spot stays a dead spot. And so often people wait until uh, you've got a very visually uh, uh, messed up plant because of all the spots. Well, it's it's a little late to do that then. So we put we put fungicides down. They can be organic or synthetic type products that work against a fungus or a bacteria, and we put those down as a preventative. Um, if you are if you're dealing with a plant that is prone to diseases when we come out of an a rain event and that that um the foliage is dry dried off a little bit then that would be a good time to put a fungicide down just to shut down whatever might get started so if you've got a red tip photinia or a indian hawthorn that's much more prevalent here uh those are prone to entomosporium leaf spot and so wherever they are uh, crowded and the air uh, circulation isn't good wherever they uh, are wet frequently maybe you got a pop-up sprinkler that's wetting the foliage every time it waters the bed uh, you want to get away from that and move toward a drip irrigation and when it does rain uh, just go ahead and, and follow that with a spray to prevent the problem so that's kind of a uh, you know, a lot of information but i think it's helpful to understand what is happening when leaf spots occur Uh, because that way when we look at how close to plant things plant density we understand that when we look at what kinda watering we're doing and the frequency of it we understand the effect that's gonna have on any diseases that that particular plant or on many of the diseases that a particular plant might might suffer from that are above-ground diseases uh, by the way, with root rots, they're often, not always, but often, connected with soggy, wet soil conditions. We have a, a group of different root rots, uh, water moles, for example, that they really love wet conditions. And so they're, again, understanding that. We can build raised beds to improve drainage. We can choose our site, our location, uh, to improve drainage. Uh, and then again, of course, not over water. So just some, some ideas uh, that might helpful, be helpful to you as you're doing your, your gardening. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu. Dot Edu and let's go to the emails. Uh, we are going to uh, look at an email from Shannon. Shannon sends a picture of some squash that uh, are brown and decaying on the end where the bloom had occurred. And uh, the question is, what do you do? Do you cut it back? What's what's done for this? Um, well, the the what I see in the pictures looks to me like Uh, a a blossom end rot, which is caused by a lack of calcium in the tip of the fruit. The calcium may be adequate in the soil, but when we have wide fluctuations from wet to dry, uh, especially with our tomatoes, we can see a lot of the blossom end rot. And there are calcium sprays that you can put on, but really, it it's just have good quality uh, amended soil in a raised bed where you can keep the the soil more evenly moist and you will have much much less of the bl- blossom end rot. One other thing that it could be, but in the pattern of where it's occurring and everything, I don't think that's this. Uh, but some of you who have yellow squash, uh, zucchini, for example, uh, you will see a little whiskery uh, fun- fungus form around the fruit, little gray black whiskery material sticking way out from the from the uh, fruit itself it's not just something on the surface and that is another fungal disease that again is promoted by wet conditions it's, it happens to be called or root rot if i'm pronouncing that correctly and uh, so we can spray to prevent that but i think with with squash uh, number one if you're in control of foliage wetting then don't wet the foliage, wet the soil surface, uh, like drip irrigation would do. Secondly, whenever you see one where that's starting, just pick it, it's, it's, it it'll never amount to a squash, and get it out of there, because those whiskery materials are gonna produce spores that would infect other squash on your plant. So that would be called sanitation. We're getting the disease, or at least most of the disease that we can, out of the area. Uh, and so that that's how we uh, sort of like you have a little quarantine going on there in your in your squash patch. Uh, you're making sure that uh, you try to get anything that's in there out. Uh, so that those are two common things. Shannon, I think I think blossom end rot though is the one you're dealing with, and the rest of you guys listening that have a little vegetable garden, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a little bit of that other one that I mentioned uh, going on. Our phone number is 979-845-5689 or by email gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, William uh, sh- sent me a picture of a uh, Swiss chard leaf and there are large areas of the leaf that have just turned tan, they're dead. Uh, it's almost, uh, it's, they're irregular in their shape, but they're just completely dead. And uh, the question was, you know, could that be from water drying on the leaf and burning it? Well, I'm going to address that one first. Uh, chances are, no. Now, there, I have seen occasions where the water quality was so poor, uh, leaves could be affected, but that is extremely unlikely, and, and uh, I don't think that's the problem. As far as water on the leaf burning it, sometimes you'll hear, and this is one of many garden myths, but you'll hear that drops of water left on the leaf, when the sun comes out, they act like little magnifying glasses, and they direct the sun's energy into a pinpoint. Did any of you ever burn fire ants with your magnifying glass when you were a kid, or or set a little piece of wood on fire or something? You know what I'm talking about. Well, that's not true. That doesn't happen. With water on the leaf, it just doesn't. Think about it this way: It rains all the time. It rains all over Texas from time to time. We would be inundated with burned leaves everywhere if that sunlight focusing idea was true. It's it's based on something that makes sense, but that's not what what uh, is what happens, and that that is not in this case. Um, William, what's going on on the leaf. I think it's probably a bacterial disease. Uh, Bacteria have a different appearance in general than fungal spots. Uh, They start off with kind of a a water-soaked. So have you ever, let's see, one way to do it, like if you put a lettuce leaf in the freezer and you freeze it and then you take it out and let it thaw out. Uh, Initially, you know, it's green, but it gets this kind of grayish, brownish, water-soaked, look, in which case it's basically going to all gonna all turn to mush and die because the freezing does that. Uh, and so bacterial can cause bacterial infections can cause a similar appearance initially, but then those areas dry out uh, and we see usually irregular spots, sometimes angular spots on bacteria because they tend not to cross over the veins of the leaf. Uh, so that that would be another thing to look for. My guess is this is a bacteria. It doesn't match any other symptoms, so. Uh, hopefully that uh, will be helpful for you there. Um, William, I wanted to talk about some things going on around town. Um, you know, the, the activities and the opportunities for learning that, are, that occur in the spring are, are so, so nice. Uh, for example, uh, on Saturday, May 13th, that is this Saturday, the post-Oak chapter, of the Native Plant Society of Texas is going to have their plant sale or a plant sale. Uh, it's from 9 a.m. to noon or until things sell out. Uh, that is at Lick Creek Park, which is on Rock Prairie to the east of the of Highway 6. And uh, th- you know there'll be a lot of information there. You can go to their website. Uh, n- it's uh, the abbreviation for Native Plant Society of Texas. It's npsot.org slash WP slash post oak, one word, and you can find out more about it. But Saturday, May 13th, this Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon, Native Plants Society, Lick Creek Park. Also on Saturday at uh, Lick Creek Park, there is a bird day, and that is a, a chance to celebrate the International Migratory Bird Day with a hike through Lick Creek Parks Trails. You can explore the Brazos Valley's native and migrating species there. Uh, And so that is this Saturday from 10 to 1. So I guess you could go buy native plants. And then uh, I got about an hour to shop, which should be sufficient. And then go over and and do the birthday thing while you're out there. Uh, Next Saturday, by the way, just looking a little further uh, uh, forward, uh, the uh, Clara Mounts Library, which is on 26th Street, East 26th Street in Bryan. Uh, has their Learning at the Library series. And so next Saturday, the 20th, from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., Donna Murray, one of our Brazos County Master Gardeners, is going to uh, share her talent for creating floral masterpieces from bits and pieces around the garden uh, She uh, the talk is is, is called uh, bouquets for every day And so I, I think you will enjoy this because you know you you've got all these things in the garden we, we often think of well to make a flower arrangement You have to buy flowers somewhere and then put them together Well, we have flowers in our gardens and we have material in the garden that is really nice in an arrangement Uh, And sometimes we can get really creative and make beautiful arrangements. So using materials from the cutting, cut flower garden that that you may have or be planning on planting, uh, from flower beds, vegetable beds, uh, untidy edges of the yard, and even roadside ditches, uh, you can find uh, amazing opportunities or amazing materials that really combine well into a container. So that's Saturday, May 20th, next Saturday, learning at the library, Claremont's Library, 10 a.m., it's a free class too, by the way, open to the public. But I would suggest you get there a little early because this this is really a cool opportunity uh, to learn to do a little little design yourself. Uh, also, on Saturday, May twentieth, a week from this Saturday, uh, is the In the Dirt with Master Gardeners lecture at the gardens on campus. Uh, the gardens on campus has partnered with us in AgriLife Extension and Master Gardeners uh, to provide several talks, uh, I believe five talks this spring, and this is the last of them. It's Saturday, May 20th, and it'll be on plant pollinators from 10 a.m. to 1130 at the gardens in that uh, uh, little open uh, facility that in the center of the gardens, you know, the It's a little building that they can open the doors on. It's a great place for for education, too, by the way. So our master gardener, um, Molly Harris, will be doing that talk. Um, Molly is is very, very uh, knowledgeable about pollinators and and using uh, pollinators in the garden or attracting pollinators to the garden. And so Saturday, May 20th, 10 a.m., don't be late be there and that will be good. Now the gardens has a parking and transportation webpage. Basically there's some lots where you can park on the weekends uh, without fear of being hauled away or, or given a ticket. Uh, and so you just have to go to uh, uh, calendar.tamu.edu slash slash day. If you if you go to the gardens website too, you can you can find their uh, connection there to to parking uh, for the gardens. So that'll direct you to where to park. So just make sure and uh, get there a little early so you have time to park and walk over to the gardens. So in the garden clubs and societies, uh, they they've got some really active clubs uh, here in the Brazos Valley on tomorrow uh that's friday may twelfth uh the a and m Garden Club meets at nine thirty at Peace Lutheran Church, which is on Rio Grande, where it comes into uh the the uh, twenty eighteenth or the bypass um around the west side of town. Uh, this is in South College Station. So they're having a potluck luncheon and their meeting. They'll install their officers and guests are welcome. You can go to AM Garden Club, not an and, just amgardenclub.com and find out more about their meetings that you might be interested in. Uh, before I keep going here, if you're interested in us a call, set 979-845-5689 or by email, success at TAMU. Now, you may not be aware of the fact that uh, also here on KAMU FM, 90.9, on Wednesdays at 7.42 a.m., that is a very specific time, uh, very interesting, 7.42 a.m., Jennifer Nations, the Water Resource Coordinator with the City of College Station, uh, you probably heard her on the show from time to time, Uh, she's providing information about potable water, such as the best practices and procedures, safety tips, uh, a lot of information uh, directly from uh, the water department. And that is here on KAMUFM FM 90.9 on Wednesday, 742 AM. Uh, don't forget we have our farmers markets here in the Bryan College Station area. Uh, the um, brazos Valley Farmers Market is on Saturdays down in Bryan at the intersection of Main and Twenty-First Street. So, as you head north of the downtown area in Bryan on on Main Street, uh, you come to that, and it's open on Saturdays from eight to noon. And they have all kinds of products there. Are quite a few vendors that show up for that. Uh, sometimes there's live music. Uh, usually a food truck or two there uh... and so that if you want more information brazos valley farmers market all one word brazos valley farmers dot com for that now the south county south brazos county farmers market is uh, uh... occurs two different times on tuesdays it's from noon to five p.m. and on fridays it's from noon to five p.m. the same location which is the corner of university in Glen haven so the way i like to describe it is you're heading out Uh, University Drive toward the bypass. It's the last street before you get to the bypass on the right-hand side. Just turn down there and you'll see them out on the right before you get about a block in. And They have all kinds of things that you would expect uh, to have at a farmers market. Then there's Farm Fridays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at FM on FM 974, which we call Tabor Road, uh, and they do have a a wide variety of different things uh, at that farmer's market as well. So, basically, you have a lot of opportunities to support our local farmers and and to provide good fresh food uh, for you as well. So, we're looking at Saturdays 8 to 12, uh, Tuesdays noon to 5, Fridays noon to 5, and then on Fridays from 10 to 2. Lots of Lots of good opportunities there. If you've never been out to the demonstration idea gardens, that's the, the gardens at our old extension office location that the master gardeners uh, built and take care of. And that's at our Brazos County master gardeners. And so you can see the gardens that they still tend to there. Uh, you, can, you can learn all kinds about uh, things like earth kind landscaping and and uh, just see beautiful gardens and a and, uh, lot of different kinds of plants, including some trees. There's a little arboretum uh, with a few trees that, we, that have been planted over the years there that uh, would also be helpful. So that's kinda anytime you wanna go. Occasionally we have an open garden day and I'll tell you when we're coming up on those. Uh, what that amounts to, it's just a, an opportunity to kinda get to visit with master gardeners. They're often out there on Saturdays working, not all the time, but, but often. And so you can go out and just ask them questions. That way if you see a plant and you're wondering what it is, they can tell you about it. I think it's a good, good idea, a good opportunity there. Well, you're listening to Garden Success, and I'm your host, Skip Richter, and our phone number is 979-845-5689. 845-5689. We got a slow call day going on here. This is—I'm uh, not sure I've ever made it this far into the show without a phone call. If you want to talk, this is a good time to call. I'll be happy to visit with you. But I got plenty to talk about otherwise. So, uh, by the way, on the KAMU website, uh, I, I have an article that they've posted up there, and it's skips tips for your lawn. Uh, and this is uh, just the basics of lawn care, mowing, watering, fertilizing, dealing with weeds. Uh, so you go to the uh, webpage for K-A-M-U-F-M and look for garden success and you're, you're gonna see the, the article on there. Uh, so I think, I think you'll find that interesting. That is available on KAMU. By the way, our this podcast, this radio show, is available by podcast. So look for Garden Success on whatever podcast provider that you use. Uh, Garden Success, and you can listen to past shows. So maybe if you missed a show, or if you heard something like today said, and you you didn't quite catch that, didn't get to write it down, uh, just go back and listen to the podcast when it gets posted. And they get posted pretty promptly. Uh, And that way you can kind of catch up on that. I had a question uh, that uh, came in uh, on, let's see, uh, from Scott. And it's regarding uh, a a particular weed killer. Uh, And and Scott uh, heard uh, on another radio show in another part of the state uh, about a selective weed killer called Fiesta. Don't we'll know if I'd heard about that, uh, and uh, it's a organic ish uh, weed weed killer. I don't know. I don't think it's a certified Omri. Oh my goodness. Okay, I don't think it's a certified Omri, but uh, it is uh, one that uh, organic folks are very very excited about uh, because uh, the, I mean, because the ingredient in it is iron. Uh, it doesn't have you know one of the uh, one of the um, uh, compounds that you might find synthetic compounds in most weed killers, but it's a form of iron. The thing about this weed killer though, is when I look at the label, uh, first of all, the, the one called Fiesta is that's more of a commercial sized bottle. You can buy it uh, in the home garden market. Uh, Bonide has a product called lawn weed brew, lawn weed brew. And lawn weed brew, uh, it is, uh, you know, sold in consumer size amounts, and it is exactly the same ingredient. Uh, however, I've looked and looked for labels for these, and when I see a label, I don't see St. Augustine or Bermuda or Zoysia on it. I do say that if it, you know, if you're not sure, test it on a small area first. Well, you don't want to go buy it if it's not gonna not going to work. But anyway, that Uh, I need to look into this more to see. Basically, it it fries weeds uh, and doesn't bother the grass that it's labeled to be used on Um, so that uh, you can use it in cool weather. Warm weather, once we get up to about, oh, let's see, mid 80s or higher, you want to probably be careful on that because it it can also burn uh, desirable plants when uh, it's getting that warm, but I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look into that a little bit more. I just can't believe that in looking at the labels, I don't. They don't list. Here are the long grasses you can use it on. One on the commercial, the, it listed fescue and annual bluegrass. I mean uh, Kentucky bluegrass. Well, that that's northern those are northern issues or northern uh, grass types uh, so for our southern I don't know but I'm gonna keep looking into it it's kinda interesting cuz you know a lot of times folks want to use organic products or products that are more natural uh, you know I'm 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 careful in using the term organic because uh, when you're selling something as being organic it has to be organic certified uh, just cuz it's natural uh, it has to be certified as an organic product to be labeled and sold as organic. So uh, I, I want to be careful that this one is not an OMRI-listed organic. Well, let's go to the phones. I think uh, my comment must have made them ring. Uh, let's let's start off with Garrett. Uh, good morning, Garrett.
2: Hey, good morning, Skip. I heard you need some uh, phone call content, so <laughs> I going to give you a call.
1: What are we going to talk so, about? Uh,
2: so I, I planted artichokes for the first time um I, I put some i grew some transplants, put them in uh last fall, and a few of them made it through the uh winter and I've been harvesting, but they're all like really small uh artichokes I don't know if you call it the fruit or the flower or whatever mm-hmm. but uh yeah they they all seem like they're really small and they it's you know not quite much to to eat there um yeah. I'm wondering if maybe that's a fertilizing problem?
1: Um, I I, I've grown them before and they often are not as big as what you would see in the store. Uh, just our growing conditions, I suspect your plants you know, were weakened from the, the cold weather. Uh, the way to grow artichokes is the way you did it and that's to plant them in the fall. Get them through the winter, and then by then you have a decent-sized plant that can really produce well. So I think we just, you know, it's kind of like a lot of things. When people grow onions, they're often not the big softballs you find in the grocery store. Um, They're smaller, but they still are onions, and they taste good. Uh, So anyway, I I think that's probably going to be what it is. But anybody wanting to grow artichokes, that's when you plant them. And then in the winter, when we're going to get down, I say below 30, I would just throw a cover over them. Uh, they're not super sensitive, but you don't want to set the plant back much because um, that results in a situation kind of like you're experiencing.
2: Okay, that's probably what it was. I had them covered for one of those cold snaps, mm-hmm. but uh, I honestly thought they all died, and uh, and so I, I just didn't cover them up for some of the other ones. So. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like they were weekend. I also grew cardoon, which I'm trying to figure out what to – do with it but okay. uh, I, I read uh, <clears throat> that you can blanch cardoon like you would like celery at some point yeah you wrap like uh, paper around it Do you know if that's like a something you have to do or is that sort of just to get a good looking no,
1: no it is cooked it's not eaten raw to my knowledge uh, but it's the petioles of the oh. leaves of cardoon and for those other folks listening cardoon and artichoke look a lot alike if you haven't got them side by side to compare Uh, Sometimes from a distance, I'll see a plant and wonder, is that an artichoke or a cardoon way over there?
2: Okay, yeah, I guess I used the wrong term. What I I mean is like covering up the plant so that the stalks turn, like they don't get exposed to light. What I I read, it was some uh, publication where they they said put paper around it. I don't know if that's anything you've heard of.
1: I haven't heard that, uh, but that would work. Uh, Other things are blanched to a degree. Um, The Cauliflowers, we tie the leaves up over it so the sun doesn't turn it a kind of tan color, a yellowy, off-white color. Uh, and Blanche, the uh, leeks are typically hilled up with soil, which means they have a longer white section at the bottom uh, and before the green starts. Uh, and so uh, you can do that. You could do that with Cardoon as well. You might check something, though. Do a Google search on Cardoon. There are some people that are sensitive to it, and I don't, I mean, it's not a life and death, but um, at least I don't think it is, but I would check that first, uh, because that's one of the the caveats with Cardoon. Uh, Not everybody is, but uh, some people could be.
2: Okay. Yeah, I'll check that. I know that, uh, I think Jerusalem artichoke is is like that as well. Um, Okay. um, Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, so I'll manage my expectations, I guess, and then cover them
1: up in the winter. All right. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for the call, Garrett. Thanks. Our phone number is 979-845-5689. And we're going to go now to Stacy. Hello, Stacy.
3: Hi, Skip. Um, got an anna apple tree. I kind of called you on it a little while ago. Um, it is loaded with anna apples. But I've, the first, this is the first year I've really gotten a decent amount of apples on it. But I'm trying to figure out when to harvest them. And how do I know what they're right? Some of them have a red blush on. Some of them are totally green. Um, yeah, but I also don't want them to go bad because they didn't spray them or anything. Right now, they look great, but I know with all this whole humid weather that that's usually when they kind of go downhill as far as fruit quality. Yeah, that's and if a- I could pull them early or you
1: you may have to just sample some. You know, as it's looking like maybe this is okay, just just sample one and see what it is. the The problem in our area with apples is we don't have those cold, crisp nights and warm days like you would find up in. The drier parts of Washington State, where the, a lot of apples are grown, places like that, and so our apples just don't color up as well as they do up there. So, uh, but well, I would, I've
3: tried a couple, and like the really green ones are kind of really underripe, and then oh. the red blush ones have have taste a little bit more like an apple. But I don't see the green ones changing at all. <laughs> I'm like,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, don't don't let red be your your real guide. Okay. I mean, it it should it said flush pretty well but i um yeah i i would i I'd, i would just kind of get used to looking at your tree and trying things and kind of get a feel for what that what that's going to look like uh, for the anna and you don't want them to go too far because they get really mealy and and they're not worth eating
3: yeah yeah no definitely um but yeah there's a they're small because I didn't send them out because I was afraid like I'd send them out and a hailstorm would come and take out the ones I didn't thin out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, there's quite a few. A lot of them are really small. I think I'll probably make making jam or something or applesauce at this point uh, out of some of them. All
1: right. Well, good, good luck. And then
3: I have one more question if you don't. I have some sunflowers and they're getting like little pinholes and I'm assuming it's a bug of some sort on the petals. I'm trying to don't know what causes that. I haven't really seen anything on them. A but I pinhole have them.
1: on the petal. Um
3: Something's eating the petals. It's, I'm not it's sure.
1: probably a tiny beetle. Okay. Uh, that sounds a
3: cucumber
2: beetle. Or
1: something? Uh, yeah, it might be. I don't know if cucumber beetles eat uh, sunflower petals, or uh, I doubt. I doubt it's flea beetles up that high on a on a plant, but it could mm-hmm. be. Uh, but anyway, it's going to be a little tiny beetle doing it, and other than the aesthetic loss, it's probably not really worth uh, treating for. Okay, I'm just
3: hoping my. At this point if we can just not get like three inches of rain overnight yes. for a little while i'd be happy because my peppers are still recovering from last month
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> well i understand <laughs>
3: all right thank you so much
1: thank you for the call uh stacy uh right. let's now go to the phones our number is 845-5689 and we're going to talk to john hello john
0: good morning i i sent you a picture but i sent it a little late i may have not have gotten there until quarter to twelve maybe but it's a couple of tomatoes that I just found this morning that are have they're brown on the bottom, and I I don't know. I mean, they're they're in an area where there's probably twenty tomato plants, maybe more, and okay. these are the only two that I found that have that condition. Is is that? Do you have any idea what's causing that? the
1: The tomato fruit is brown on the bottom. I think that's blossom end rot. That's what it sounds like. Uh, that it's a disease. I, I was mentioning a little bit earlier, but it's a disease caused by a lack of calcium reaching the tip of the fruit and the cells die and collapse there. And that starts the brown and then the rot moves moves on in to take it further into the tomato. Uh, but it's usually in most gardens that have been fertilized tended for a while. It's usually not a, a lack of calcium, uh, but it the the, flow of, of the calcium through the plant, as we go to from wet to dry conditions, that, er, that erratic change seems to make it a lot worse. I've also noticed it's worse early, and I don't know if it's because the plants are young and they don't have as extensive of a root system as they would a little later, but often the first fruits of the season have a problem, and then the plant just seems to straighten out.
0: Well, it was interesting to me because... Uh there are so many tomato plants in, in this area in this part of the garden that i i, I was surprised that it, it uh-huh. happened to, and, and there were two different uh species of tomatoes they weren't the same okay tomato. So, huh. but but i carefully looked and i i couldn't find any others that had that okay but, so maybe that is maybe that, that's true it could it could have been a water problem,
1: yeah, usually on the for a tomato, there are not a lot of things that just rot our tomatoes. We have the insect issues they deal with, and we have the leaf diseases and soil borne diseases and and whatnot, but um uh, I think especially because it's on the blossom end, that's what you're dealing with,
0: okay, well, no nothing to do but just to make sure the water's. Um, steady yeah try to
1: keep it even if you have had a soil test recently check it out if you haven't you might want to have one done and just see it's it possible that you may need to add you know some um, some calcium to the soil Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case but uh, I certainly don't know until we have a soil test
0: well I, I don't think that's the problem because all of these containers are they're in the the bags that that I make the soil up every year, so I don't have to worry about nematodes or anything else. And uh, and so I I, I think there's 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 fertilizer and everything in this mix. So I think it I think it's a water problem, like you say.
1: Okay. Hmm. Well, I'd I'd give it a shot at that. Sounds like you got some happy birds there in the background.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. The squirrels could talk. You'd hear a lot of toys, too. <laughs> but, okay, well, thank you, Skip. I, I think that's the problem, uh, and I'll just keep an eye on the... And it could be that those two particular bags, the dripper, may not have done something funny, and I'll have to look at it. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: that's a possibility.
0: Okay, well, thank you. All right,
1: thank you, John. Appreciate the call. Yeah. Our phone number, 979 845 Five, six, eight, nine, eight, four, five, 5689 845 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, uh, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, Susan emails with a picture of a plant that uh looks as i look at it it looks like uh it's a volunteer in the vegetable garden it's the mystery plant if you will uh it looks a lot like sorrel now there are some wild native types of sorrel and relatives of sorrel and then there are there are sorrel that we grow in our garden it's a uh, sorrel is uh, a leafy vegetable we eat the leaves and they have kind of a tangy lemony type uh a characteristic to them, uh, so therefore they're kind of good to use in some soup dishes and so on. Uh, I have some in my garden. Uh, this one looks a little different than the one I have, so I'm I'm not sure if it's one of the weeds or uh, I wouldn't send you out to eat it though, with me not being more sure <laughs> of what it is uh, than that. So, uh, yeah, the sorrel is probably uh, what we're dealing with. Okay, let's see. I'm going to care of those. All right. Um, I did have a question uh, come in uh, from Bradley on what's a good ground cover uh, crop to have around the garden instead of grass or what's the best uh, uh, to plant surrounding a vegetable garden trying to keep the grass from moving into the garden Uh, it kind of depends on what kind of grass you have first of all I mean if it's St. Augustine that just crawls on top of the soil so it's pretty here you just take a little edger and trim through it and pull the Pull those uh, little runners up. Uh, not not hard to keep out. If it's Bermuda grass or Zoysia grass, it can go underground as well and and come up, and uh, can be a little more difficult. I don't think a ground cover would work on on those kind of grasses. They will coexist with the um, with the, the the ground cover. Uh, so, uh, what would we do? I, I would probably either. Uh, create some sort of a vertical barrier in the soil. Uh, Some people will take something like uh, metal flashing and bury it in the soil vertically uh, to create a little wall so it can't go over or under. Uh, Actually, Bermuda grass can do anything it wants. it would probably find a way to go over. Uh, But uh, other than that, just kind of spraying to keep that edge trimmed a little bit would probably be your best bet. Uh, for that, especially if it's a a Bermuda grass. And there's different uh, products available, different ingredients that will work against grasses. Uh, Some uh, are more select for grasses and don't tend to hurt broadleaf plants. So uh, that's kind of nice because you can get uh, grass infestations out of broadleaf plants that way. They're not labeled for use in a vegetable garden though. So you would need to deal deal with it before uh, it gets in. But from the rest I can tell, I think that that's what I would suggest uh, for that. You know, uh, gardening is it, it's a it's a wonderfully fun hobby. And it but one of the things I personally like about it is it's a challenge uh, to to um, keep up with. There's there's a lot of different kinds of things that can go on in the garden, and when you when you have um, you know, these challenges that come up, like here's a new disease, here's a new insect. Well, I didn't have this last year, but I had it the year before. Uh, it it kind of keeps you on your toes. And that's why good gardening principles are so important. Uh, they help us avoid the majority of the issues we're dealing with. Whether, and when I say gardening, I mean I include lawns, I include flower beds, trees, shrubs, your vegetable garden, your herb garden. You see what I'm saying. And uh, good solid principles help take care of that and I get a lot of questions each year from folks that heard something from somebody or someone the relative in another town told them something or uh, the number one offender uh, social media posted something and so they're wanting to know is that true and oftentimes it's not and because those kinds of things are not based on research based information evidence uh, based information uh, and those kind of stories I won't call them wives tales it's more more just claims and stories they they get uh, you know spread just because sometimes they have a portion of them that are true uh, and sometimes it's because they worked once for somebody and therefore they think that now is going to always work uh, maybe, Uh, Another one that's common that I see is it works in another part of the country, but it doesn't work here for various reasons. Uh, Just like you can't plant lilacs in Bryan College Station and have them grow, there are certain practices that might work somewhere else that are not going to work here, and vice versa, uh, too, by the way. So that's why we depend on uh, extension services like the AgriLife Extension Service here in Texas. Uh, Each... Uh, You you may not be aware of this, but each state has a land-grant university system. And the land-grant university system has research, it has teaching, it has education. Extension is the education. We basically take the university to the people. That used to be a a motto of ours uh, because, uh, you know, what's learned at the university and other universities uh, is then taken through the county extension agents and specialists to whatever communities across the state of Texas there are. And that's nice because you have good research-based information. Uh, you may go out, and you know, an example would be uh, a, um, oh gosh, uh, like uh, someone puts some product on a plant that used to always have problems and now it doesn't have that problem this year. And then they think that is why. Well, correlation does not equal causation. So basically what that means is just because two things occur at the same time doesn't mean one caused the other. And uh, so that's why we have replicated research and you can find a lot of good information online and just a tip for those of you uh, by the way get a pen or pencil handy here Uh, if you're searching for gardening types of things like maybe you're looking for something on fire ants or something on lawn disease if you just type in fire ant or lawn disease you're probably going to get a lot of commercial companies that come up you're going to get forums where someone talked about that but if after whatever you're searching for, you, you leave a space and then type in site, S-I-T-E, colon, dot E-D-U. When you put site, colon, you're telling Google or whatever your search engine is that I only want you to look in sites that end in, and then dot E-D-U. Now you could do site, colon, dot T-A-M-U, dot and it would only search the A&M sites. Uh, but if you do site colon.edu, you might get LSU, Oklahoma State, uh, you, you get the idea. Uh, and, and so that kind of information kind of cuts through a lot of the clutter. That doesn't mean that the only factual information online comes from a university. Cert- certainly that's not true. But it at least helps you avoid a lot of the misleading things that are going on out there and so be skeptical uh, do your searches check different sources you know sometimes I'll I'll see some information online when I'm trying to solve something and I just keep going you know it it may be good information from a site I trust but I always like to to hear from other extension services around the country too and just make sure that that uh, that that is consistent and sometimes one uh, extension system will have a much better publication on a topic than a different extension system might have and so that that's also kind of helpful I found something really cool from Oklahoma State this morning Uh, someone shared it with me that's uh, how did the options for dealing with Bermuda grass in a vegetable garden and it's a research trial done in Oklahoma by Oklahoma State and I mean they tried all kinds of things they did tillage. They did solarizing. Uh, they were trying to do it, by the way, it was a kind of an organic thing. Like, how do we not spray, you know, Roundup on, on the Bermuda grass or something else? And they, they tried several different types of mulches. Uh, what else did they do? They had some organic products that basically amounted to top burn products. And they did all the research on it. They laid it all out. And uh, it was very, very helpful. It was the most extensive thing I've ever seen on that. Uh, very, very helpful. So that would be helpful for a gardener. Well, our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by, uh, let's see, by email, if you want to email me at gardensuccess at edu. we got about 10 minutes left today, so if you would like to call, this would be a good time to get in. Or if you get an email to me, I can probably probably answer it by then. Uh, I was... um, uh, in spring, I love to get out and see a variety of garden centers and, and go out through the countryside and see what's blooming and all that kind of thing. It's just a good time to get out and do that. And I was out at the Rose uh, the other day and looking, and oh my gosh, they had a nice selection of salvias. Uh, and it just reminded me how broad the salvia uh, genus is. Uh, it, I, in fact, if I had to pick one genus, one genera, that um, would be my favorite. In ornamental ornamental flowers let's say uh, perennials it, it's it's salvia uh, that that's it and i often have trouble deciding what people ask what plant do you like best well i, I there's only eight bazillion so uh, how can i pick one but the genus salvia as a group is just really good here you know we've got pine and it's it's diverse pineapple sage uh has a, a long red bloom that uh, attracts hummingbirds, and it's used in uh, culinary. Uh, It has a pineapple-scented leaves that are used in culinary ways. Uh, There are the um, native salvias, uh, like, uh, let's see, uh, uh, oh gosh, I just went blank on one. Uh, Augusta Duhlberg and Henry Dahlberg. that's a white and a blue version of one of our native salvias. Uh, Salvia, uh, let's see, Salvia farinacea and actually they may be across a but uh those are are really excellent uh there are uh, I love the salvias that have spires in the name indigo spires uh, uh mystic spires uh those are those are really good especially mix, mystic spires which is so um, confined and then the fall blooming uh things like uh, sa- uh, Salvia lucantha, which is Mexican bush sage, that blooms in the fall. So beautiful. So salvias are a really good one. If you don't have salvias in your landscape, you ought to add a few. Uh, let's uh, go to the phones, and we're going to talk to Margaret. Hello, Margaret.
4: Hi, Skip. How can? Um, you- um, I have four natchez white crepe myrtles that were probably two or three years old to begin with and they were planted four years ago in February uh 2018. They have done well (laughs) uh but these four are not leafing out (laughs) and uh they were healthy as far as I knew at the end of the season um I have another one that is in more of a shaded area, these uh, get all morning sun, and uh, is there any comment that you could make?
1: You know, I have seen a lot of that this year, and the only thing I can think of is the December freeze we had. Now, crepe myrtles are hardy for Bryan College Station. We are not near the edge of their hardiness line, but when we have... Uh, mild growing conditions, and plants don't prepare for winter, we call that hardening off. they don't prepare for winter adequately, and then we have a hard freeze a de- a significant freeze. We can get plant damage because a plant that would have been hardy had it had it hardened off uh, was caught off guard and I think that's what's going on with them. There's not a disease or an insect of crepe myrtle that would cause the kind of dieback that I'm seeing around town. Not every crepe myrtle at all, but some here and there. Right, yeah. I drove by one the other day and the whole top was dead and it was resprouting from the bottom. That's about the worst case I've seen. But um it it's it, it has to be that cold, uh, because for it to randomly being occurring all over the area, uh it it's just not and, and that's not crepe myrtle bark scale doing that. Uh, that it wouldn't right. it wouldn't and, and a lot of these don't have the black sooty mold on them anyway. Uh, so I think that's it. Um, in in such case now, as if they do start sprouting out from wherever that is, maybe down on the plant, maybe it's only you know two feet from the end of the shoots uh, that it's died back two feet. Wherever it dies back to, just go ahead and, and cut it off there, c- get the dead out because of course it's not gonna come back to life. Uh, and if if you lose the whole top, then on the base, You can select one shoot to be your um, trunk to reform that plant, or if you want a multi-stemmed crepe, which is the normal form that people prune them to, uh, you can select several of those, just not too many, probably three to five at the most uh, coming out of the ground uh, and, and just recreate that that plant and they they have a great root system because it didn't get frozen so the new growth should be pretty vigorous coming out
4: okay so uh mine are four or i have maybe one that has five branches or roots because i you know we bought them that way and then um uh so you're saying that if i find that all of them are dead um i could even with the four, uh, cut it up high and cut all the dead on top off.
1: Right. Is that what? Right. Well, here's what I'm saying. When new growth appears, the plant is telling you where to prune. So, if let's say on oh, one okay. on one of the trunks, there's growth appearing all the way out, but the last two feet of that tr- of that branch, then okay. you cut it off right at the at the edge of Living in dead, okay you, you, you remove yeah. the dead if it the whole thing is on the other extreme dead all the way to the ground, uh, then you just take that whole trunk out and, and you use one of the shoots that will come out of the base to replace it It'll take time okay. but, but you do that yeah. but hopefully you're not dead all the way to the ground that I don't, I've only seen that once uh, driving around town. well uh,
4: it is trying to a uh, little shoots. I didn't let the big shoots the shoots get real big from the base okay. uh, uh, well, thank you so much. Somebody had suggested hormones to spray on the top, which I did. Have you ever heard of that?
1: No, hormones to do what what what's the goal uh,
4: I don't know it said they needed hormones. This was a horticulture uh and uh so i have done that once and it did stimulate some and it's the top uh, where nothing was happening and it has stimulated some especially on one a little more leafing out uh up in the top i mean these are probably they're pruned up uh uh five six six feet sort of and then that's where the branch is up
1: high so it's okay anyway well margaret i don't believe what they told you is correct um and I, earlier i was talking about correlation and causation it could be that when the hormones were sprayed on it it was already about to come back out and so it appeared that the hormones did that i oh that's my okay. guess i i just don't know number one I'd i'd like to talk to the horticulturist uh, either trained <laughs> I'm
4: the either, on the radio. either trained
1: or no you don't have to either trained or self-proclaimed that uh, said that and ask him what hormone are you talking about and, because if you had cold damage you know hormones don't make dead come alive and and so yeah I, I'm I'm not really I'm not following that and I'll leave room that I could be wrong there may be something I'm not aware of but uh, in my brain, thinking horticulturally, scientifically, I, I'm not able to put if that put that together. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well,
4: thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you.
1: Thank you for the call. I appreciate that. Well, we're to the end of the day. Just got a little time left, so probably not enough time for another call. So we're gonna we're gonna call it there on the calls. That was interesting. Uh, I just want to remind you that in the vegetable garden, there's still plenty to be doing. You know, if you uh, wanted to plant melons, uh, this is a good time. That's cantaloupes, honeydews, watermelons. A good time to do that. And it is prime time for planting okra, for planting southern peas like black-eyed peas, purple hulls, cream peas. Uh, it is a good time to plant uh, sweet potatoes still, if you can find some around. Uh, still, still in the in the stores. Uh, the um, uh, pumpkins and winter squashes can be planted now. Uh, the, the one thing about those I will say is make sure and protect the foliage against powdery mildew uh, and that would require spraying because that is a number one thing and when when we get a bad infestation of that and it kills 90% of the foliage you're not going to get pumpkins or, or spaghetti squash or acorn squash or whatever kind of winter squash you're, you're planting. Uh, Well, you're listening to Garden Success, and we're here every Thursday from 12 to 1. Tell your friends about the show and also about the fact that we're available by podcast. We look forward to visiting with you next Thursday from 12 to 1. Hope you have a good week out in the garden.